All right, good morning. How's everyone doing today? It's spring, it is here, the sun is shining, or at least it was, it might still be. Uh, we had some rain yesterday, oh man, new life, we're talking about it today, so it's just, uh, what a great day to be here, to be with you guys today. Um, so before I, I get started um, with the message this morning, um, by the way, welcome to those who are online as well, I didn't forget you, I just wanted to say hi to everyone here. <laughs> So uh, welcome, thank you for joining us. Um, before we get started, I want to share a quick story with you um, that I hope uh, will, you'll find encouraging. Um, it's kind of a, a confession um, for me, uh, so to speak, kind of a small thing, but um, I just was amazed by it, and I, so I hope this will be encouraging for you. But um, in, my, in the mornings before I get ready to go to work, I have my quiet time. So it's a time where I spend um, some time in the Word with God, uh, just learning from Him, kind of sitting at His feet, just trying to see what He has to say uh, for that day. And um, in order to, for the way I've been doing that recently has been reading through a commentary uh, through the Gospel of John and reading a commentary um, to kind of help me see what uh, is, is kind of being said in the Word. Um, the commentary is a neat way for me to meditate on what Scripture is teaching uh, and, tr- and listening, and, and well, not really listening, but reading a trusted teacher. And th- this commentary is the Reformed Expository Commentary. If you're looking for something like that, and if you're a nerd like me, uh, you'll, uh, you'll enjoy that. It's been really fruitful for me and uh, doing that. I, I share that with you to say this. Um, uh, a while ago, I knew Greg was going to be... Um, uh, Moving, he was going to be uh, tr- uh, transitioning from his old house to a new house uh, this weekend, and so I offered to preach for him today, uh, so that he wouldn't have to focus on uh, preparing a message. What well, he could focus on moving and getting that done. Could we turn up the house lights too, um, just so people can get uh, can read when when they have an opportunity? I feel like the spotlight's on me again. This happens every week. It seems like um, no, it's it's just me, um, but. Uh, so I, I, I offered to preach for him this week uh, so that he could have some time to focus on that. And uh, I asked him, what would you like me to, to preach on? And in the, the small little like, voice in the back of my mind uh, was like, oh, I, I really get to hope I, I get to choose because I've been reading through the Gospel of John and I've been getting some really neat things from my life uh, through um, this study. And I was like, okay, maybe he'll let me uh, pick. And he didn't. He gave me a, 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 he gave me a topic um, to, to start. And actually, we're going to start a new sermon series. I'm, and honestly, I'm really excited about it. There's going to be some really neat um, uh, passages that we go over and some truths that we uncover uh, through this sermon series. So I'm very excited about it. But at the time when he gave me this, again, that small nagging voice in the back of my brain was like, oh man, I, I could have really uh, honed in on something in John. Well, wouldn't you know, and I just realized this yesterday, wouldn't you know that if I would have stuck to reading this commentary on the plan that I was on, studying it, I would have come right on to the passage that we're going to talk about today. Now, I, I didn't do that. I pulled away from the commentary, from my devotionals, to focus on preparing for this message. And if I would have just stuck to the plan, God would have just opened it to me. Now, he did, okay? He did yesterday, and, we, and I was able to clean it up a little bit for you, so hopefully it's good for you this morning. But, but uh, I just want to share that with you to encourage you that if, you have, if you're having trouble finding a way to read the Word every day, pick a plan. 
There, there are a number of plans out there. There are a number of daily Bible reading plans. I really, I enjoy just reading through commentary, like I mentioned, because it kind of helps me um, meditate on what the Word is saying. And pick a plan and just stick to it. Because um, God's going to use it. It's His Word. He is going to teach you through it, regardless of where you're at. Because it's His Word. And it will be the right Word for that day. And if I would have just stuck with it and not pulled away to prepare, which uh, I know it sounds kind of strange, but you hear what I'm saying. If I would have stuck with it, it would have been the same exact thing I'm preaching this morning. So um, praise God that that's the case and that I figured that out yesterday. So so here we go. Um, Greg has asked me to uh, kick off a new uh, series of messages. I'm just going to kick one slide back here. Um, Dealing with our identity, and the title uh, is, uh, is I Am, or I Am Blank. And we're going to get into our identity, the way God defines us, what he, who he says we are. So it's going to deal with our identity. Our world today is very much wrapped up in this idea of identity. Um, who you are, who you came from, where you came from, um, and where you're going, Right? Uh, to be fair, everyone does have an identity. Um, your very name is a part of your identity. It sets you apart from the rest of people. There is only one of you. Um, there's a comedian out there who looks at his thumb and he says, look, if you look at the thumbprint, you can see that that, that um, thumbprint is individual. It is, it only, there's only one thumbprint like the one that's on your thumb. You are thumb body. Okay, uh, okay, I'm done. We're going to get to the next, get the rest of it. But, but seriously, there's only one of you. So your identity is important, right, to understand that. And that's okay. But, um, and, and really, there, there's so much more baked into our identity than just our name. It's, it's who you are. Um, human beings are wired to want to belong, to want to belong to people, to relate to others. And if we, ha- and if we have a hard time uh, identifying ourselves or, or Defining our identity, it can be demoralizing or depressing, right? What we think about our identity does influence what we think about ourselves and how we interact with others. So this morning, I want to bring us back to the basics. I want to get into scripture and figure out what does the Bible say about our identity? What does the Bible teach us about our identity? Here at Darby Creek Church, we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. It is literally God's word to us, what he has to say to us. Um, If there's a topic that we're interested in learning more about, we want to know what God thinks about that, we look at scripture because scripture tells us what God thinks about everything. Okay, that's where we're going. So we're going to go back to the basics to show us what the Bible teaches us about our identity. Okay. Now, while the world teaches that there are many ways to identify yourself, the Bible teaches us that we all have the same identity. At least that's, it's the same when we enter this world. Regardless of race or ethnicity, whether you're a man or a woman, the Bible teaches, first of all, that we are created in the image of God. We are created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, 
and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Additionally, another part of our identity is that we're all sinners. Paul teaches in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there we have it, our identity. We are, first and foremost, we are created in the image of God. He has created us, and we are sinners. We are all sinners, and all fall short of the glory of God. Now, Satan, on the other hand, he wants us to view our identity in ways that hurt us, in ways that even as Christians can impact and really hurt our witness to others, to other people. I can just think of a couple of ways that he does, does this, but it really, it, it really does boil down to these things. And they are, he makes you feel less of yourself than you ought. Satan makes you feel less of yourself than you ought to think. And at the same time, he can even make you think of yourself more than you ought to think of yourself. So he, make, he makes you think more of yourself than you ought to. And that sometimes we refer to that as pride, right? So those are some of the ways that Satan attacks us in our identity. Now, as Christians or, or as followers of Christ, how often do we step back and ask the question, well, what does God say about who I am? Who does God say I am? Is that something that's even important to us? It should be very important to us because at the end of the day, at the end of your life, that's the only thing that matters is what God thinks of you, what God says, who God says you are. As you're going to see over the next several weeks, knowing what God says about you, about who you are as a Christian, can give us an assurance that transcends any confidence or self-esteem that you can muster up on your own out of any strength of yourself. As we'll see from God's perspective, our identity comes not from something that we have done, but from something that Christ has done for us. If we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died, that he was buried and raised again, we are placed in Christ. That's a term that Paul uses, and we're going to see that a little bit today. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are placed in him. You have, he has, uh, as we'll see, he has died for you so that you could live a life with him and in him. That is our identity as Christians. We are in Christ. So there are many ways that the Bible identifies and distinguishes Christians apart from the world. Okay? There are many different terms and, and phrases even that the Bible uses to show us who God says we are when we are placed in Christ. And we're only going to focus on a few of these uh, types of phrases over the next several weeks. And the first for today is the title that you see back here is that you are an, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. I am a new creation. That's the title for today's message. If you're a believer and if you have put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches that you are a new creation. A new creation. So today we're going to uh, pull up a passage in Scripture that discusses this to help us understand what does this mean what does it mean to say that I am a new creation? What does that imply? 
What are the implications of that? And then how should I be living my life in light of this truth, in light of this understanding? Remember, it's our identity. It's how we, uh, it's how we define ourselves. It's how God defines us as a new creation. And so it helps us know how we can live for ourselves and also live and interact with others based on this identity. So um, if you've been a believer for some time, uh, this concept may not come as a surprise to you. This truth may not come as a surprise to you. And so I hope that this message is refreshing for you, that you may learn something new even today uh, as we spend some time remembering that this is who God says you are. At the same time, there may be some here today that are trying to figure out, where are you pulling this from, Nick? Where, where are you getting this? So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today. Uh, we will bounce around a little bit. Um, really, actually, I'll have you bounce to only one passage um, in Scripture uh, later. But, but we're going to focus in on this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul makes a statement. So Paul, the author, writing to the church in Corinth at this time, he, he makes a statement in this chapter that I want us to key in on today. Chapter 5 is full of some beautiful teaching, and if you have time uh, later today, I encourage you to read through it, read chapter 5, uh, just to get some more of the context of what we're talking about here today. But I don't have time to get to all of it uh, today. I want us to turn our attention to verses 16 and 17. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Allow me to read these verses to you. Paul teaches, From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So that first verse there, verse 16, it really drives home the point that I was trying to make earlier. To fully understand what Paul is getting at here, we need to take a quick look back to verse 15. Now, why am I saying that? Well, if you look at, uh, and you might hear Greg say this sometimes, and uh, if you look at the verse there, he says, Paul says in verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Well, when we see that word therefore, we've got to figure out what is the therefore there for. So we're going to go back to verse 15 to see what Paul is talking about here to understand verse 16. So verse 15 says, and he, meaning Jesus, he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. With this context in mind, Paul is emphasizing here in verse 16, this, this fact that we regard no one according to the flesh. Paul is emphasizing here that our experience of Christ's love moves us so much to the point where we stop evaluating others and ourselves according to worldly standards. We stop evaluating others and ourselves according to worldly standards, and instead, we view everyone from the standpoint of God's great act of salvation in Christ and his divine grace that lifts up the despised or those who think less of themselves and then also humbles the proud or those who think more of themselves. And then Paul goes further to make an identity claim in verse 17. He makes an identity claim for those who are in Christ, for those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 17 that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. 
So if you are in Christ, if you're a believer, you are a new creation. You are a new creation. And there's a reason why I keep repeating that over and over again. It is important for us to understand that there is something new about us. Something that God has done to us that we're going to key in on here in a second. That makes us a new creation. At the point of saving faith, the point of salvation in your life, the old you died, the old you died, and the new you has been born. That's why he says in verse 17 there, at the end of verse 17, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. This is one of the reasons why we baptize believers. It symbolizes what Paul is talking about here. When we go down into the water and then come back up, it's a, symbol, it's a symbol of us dying and being reborn. Going down to the grave and being reborn. It's that the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are reborn as a new creation. Now, I want to encourage you to consider that this is no small statement or claim Many of us can take this statement for granted if you've been a believer for a long time. This, this statement may come as a, you may take it for granted. It can be too easy to gloss over this and to think, well, yeah, I get it. Jesus uh, washed away my sins. Got it. Moving on. No, there is a significant change that has happened in your heart, in your life, that makes you this new creation if you are a believer in Christ. A significant change. So that's why I want us to pause and I want us to focus on this verse and the meaning here and the implication. It is so important for us to understand so that we know how to live our lives as believers. First, we'll take a look here at what Paul means when, we, when he says we are a new creation. Now, uh, he doesn't actually use this terminology, but he ha- I, I really think he has the point in mind. The same thing that Jesus said back in John chapter 3. We are born again. We are born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3 that we are born again. So let's turn there to John chapter 3, starting with verse 1. I'm sorry, yeah, John chapter 3, starting with verse 1. This will help us understand what Paul means by a new creation. Okay? Hold your place there in 2 Corinthians and then turn back to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 1, this is the account... Uh, that, that John has written for us here. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Remember, Jesus had just been at the, uh, the, the wedding feast. He would, had, had uh, turned the water into wine, had done a number of signs that's what verses 23 through 25 tell us, is that there were many signs and wonders that Jesus was doing. So Nicodemus, in, in response to this, comes to Jesus and says, we know that you're from God. I don't think he fully understood that Jesus was God. But he says, we know that you are from God, because unless, you can't do these signs unless God is with you. So Jesus answered him and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can... How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The point that Jesus is making here, Nicodemus got it. He understood that what you're talking about, Jesus, is not something that I can do. I have to be born again? How, how is that even possible? I can't, I, can't be, I can't go back into my mother's womb and, and be reborn? And What do you mean? Jesus, what he meant, he, he kind of tries, he explains it here in verse 5. He says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay, well, what's Jesus mean by that? One, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit. He's referring to something that, that uh, Nicodemus should have known. Nicodemus was a scholar of the word. He was a Pharisee, a man of the Pharisees. That's how John introduces him. He was a scholar. He should have known the word. And Jesus pulls straight from Ezekiel, the prophecy Ezekiel. This is God speaking through Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, meaning from all your sin. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be, very, and be careful to obey my rules. This is profound. What Jesus is explaining here to Nicodemus, and what God is explaining through Ezekiel, is that God says, I'm going to wake you up to the Spirit. I am going to change your heart to the point that you can understand the Word, understand God's Word, and you can understand what sin is, and to... And to break away from sinning or the desire to sin. You're going to have a new desire, a new heart, a new spirit, a heart of flesh. And then not only will you this, be, this change happen to you, the Holy Spirit, the very Holy Spirit of God will be placed in you. And I will put my spirit within you. And not only that, I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The Holy Spirit, that same spirit of power that rose Jesus, that caused Jesus to raise from the grave, is placed into you at that point. That is what makes you a new creation. And Nicodemus understood, that's not something that I can do. I can't be reborn like that. That's only an act of God. It is a supernatural act that God does, that only God can do. We have faith, yes, in him, but he is the one that changes us. And we're going to talk about um, the evidence later on that shows that you are a new creation. But just that, that fact that you have been changed. We're going to show, well, what, what does that mean? How have, I, how have I been changed? Have I been changed? We're going to talk about that here in a second. But again, uh, this is not something that we've accomplished or acquired based on our own efforts. Uh, just like uh, you coming into this world, you had no control over how you came into this world, whose family you were born into, 
uh, what you look like. Uh, that's something that God did. He created you. You are a thumb buddy. I told you I wasn't going to go back there. But he created you. You didn't have any control over where you came and how you were born. The same, the, the same idea is here with this being born again. God regenerates you. There's a regeneration that occurs. That's, actually, that's, a, that's a theological term that goes back to that being born again or being, having a new creation. You cannot, just like you can't take credit for your own birth, you can't take credit for your rebirth. Okay, so moving on in verse, uh, so we're going to go back to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. And we're going to, now we're going to get to that second part of verse 17. We haven't made it very far. <laughs> we just focused in on that first part of verse 17. Now we're going to talk about the second part of verse 17. Paul says, the old has passed away. Behold, the new, the new has come. This is the evidence that we are a new creation. This is the evidence that we're a new creation. And uh, there, there, are, there are many aspects of this, of what, what old things have passed away in our lives and what new things have come. I'll talk about those a little bit later, but I want to focus in on one piece, uh, one piece of this. And that's the, the, the fact that because you are a new creation, you have the ability to recognize sin. You understand what sin is, and you do not have a desire to sin anymore. You have a desire to be righteous, a desire to be like God. Yes, we're still going to sin. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But you have a desire to be sinless. You have a desire to serve God. That's the evidence that you are a new creation. If that's not something that's present in your life, then maybe that hasn't happened yet. You have a desire to be righteous. The book of 1 John actually helps us through this and walks us through. Let's see. Oh. Yeah, there we go. Um, the book of 1 John helps us see those pieces of evidence. And I'm only going to highlight a few verses here in that book. But I encourage you to read it. It's a kind of a quick read um, to talk about what, are, what is the evidence that I'm a believer? Am I, am I a believer? Am I saved? Have I been changed? Am I a new creation? First, uh, the book of 1 John, John here writing this uh, helps us understand that. And these are just some high points here. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 29 says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So in other words, if your focus is to practice righteousness, to be like God and to serve him, then that's a piece of evidence that you have been born again, that you are a new creation, that you have been born of him. 1 John 3, chapter 3, verse 9 says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, this isn't saying that we're not going to sin anymore. That's not what John's getting at here. But what he's saying is, is this practice of sinning, you, you, you don't have this desire to continue living in sin, or at least you shouldn't. Uh, it should be something that's evident that, like, okay, that was wrong. What I did there that was, a, that was uh, completely against the, what God has for me or wants of me. So your desire is to, is to step away from that practice of sinning and uh, practice righteousness. And then finally, this, the last verse here that I want to mention in, 1 John chapter, uh, in, in the book of 1 John is chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God 
And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. In other words, you're going to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to find, we, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked through the creed, we talked about uh, communion of the saints. You're going to find a special relationship when you're in communion with other believers. And that's what, that's what uh, John is getting at here in 1 John 5. But I want to take a quick step back to this verse here in 1 John uh, chapter 3. And, and, and really kind of hone in on, well, okay, this concept of, of sin what is it? I think sometimes our society, our culture, has, a, has the wrong view of what sin is. Um, I think too often our society says, well, sin is just something that's bad, something that's wrong. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad thing. It's evil. And it is. It is evil. It, there is bad. There is badness to it, if that's a word, badness. Um, it's wrong. But why? There's a reason why, it's, why this this bad deed or this evil deed is called sin. It's a very specific reason. In the beginning, I'm not going to read Genesis, don't worry. (laughs) But in the beginning, God created the world. He created it. And when he created it, he created it with what we know of as the laws of nature, right? There's, there are certain boundaries that we can literally live in, right? Uh, We can't live in the water, uh, at least the way we were created, we can't live in the water. We can't live in space. There are, uh, it, we, it's a vacuum there. We would uh, die. Um, so anytime you break a law of nature, you immediately feel the consequence of that. Sometimes it's immediate death. I mean, if you break the laws of nature. Um, and God set that up. God set up the world. And, and I'm an engineer. I love that aspect of understanding what are the various laws that God has set for us. Because then I can know how to use it. As an, as an aerospace engineer, we understand, uh, what we try to understand what, well, not all engineers do this, but what I enjoy doing is trying to understand what are the laws that God has designed so that I can use those to get people in the air and fly. Okay? To understand what are the boundaries. In the same way, God set up a moral law, a law of morality. And we see those in the Ten Commandments back in Exodus. And he taught us, he showed, God showed us there was a way he created us as people, a way that we, are, that we interact, that we work together. There, is, there, are, there are boundaries and, and a certain way in which he created us. He defined us. There are ways that we wired, that he wired us. And if we break away from those, it starts to cause problems. We don't see it immediately like we see when we break the laws of nature. But when we break these, this moral law, there's an effect that continues to happen. It's kind of like a, a chain reaction all the way down to the point of death, eventually. That's what sin brought in. But that's what sin is. is that, that Sin is that disobedience of the way that God wired us, in a sense. It's disobeying what he said is the way I've created you. I created you to be this way. And you're going to go against that. That's what sin is, is defying that, denying that, and living in a completely different way than the way that we were created and designed. And so the evidence that you are a new creation is that you have the desire to live within those boundaries, not because they're restriction, but because it's freeing. You know what God has said, this is the way it works, and we're going to live that way. That is evidence of a new, of, that you are a new creation, that you choose to live in that way, and that's called righteousness. Now, because we are a new creation, because we have been regenerated, 
because of this, we have the capacity to recognize sin and to step away from it or to try to not sin, to not be tempted into doing it, right? We have that capacity. Our sinful nature has died and we now have a spiritual nature. Prior to being in Christ, we didn't have the capacity or the ability to not sin, if that makes sense. Because those who aren't in Christ don't recognize sin as sin. That they don't have the ability to not sin. And the, the, the one sin that really holds them down is this sin of unbelief. Of not believing in God and that he's created us. But now that we, are born, that we are born again and that we are a new creation, we can see this. We, can, we do have the capacity to not sin. And it should grieve us when we do sin, when we do fall short. I mentioned there were some other things that have passed away, some of the old things that have passed away and what new things have come. Uh, some of these things are, uh, we are, there's a new covenant. We have the new covenant in Christ's blood. We no longer have to sacrifice animals as a payment for our sin. Jesus has done that for us on the cross. We have a new covenant in Christ's blood. We have a new standing. We have a new position. We're being placed in Christ. Uh, God sees us through the lens of Christ, not through our sin. We have this new power, a new power in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit fills us. And we have a new hope and a new destiny. And what this means is that we can... Uh, look forward to what's coming, the new heavens and the new earth. But ultimately, your sin, at this point in being a new creation, your sin does not define you anymore. Christ already took care of that on the cross. He took care of that for us, if you're a believer. Now, I want to make the quick connection here. I think it's interesting how this new creation this idea of new creation and what it means for us takes us back to the original identity that I mentioned earlier. Remember, God created us. Um, God created us in his image. As believers in Christ, we are created in a new creation. We have been, the Holy Spirit has filled us. We are a new creation. Secondly, in the beginning, when we entered this world, we entered in as sinners. We are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. But because of this new creation, the Holy Spirit placed in us we have the ability, the capability to, uh, to recognize sin and the ability to defeat it, to beat it, and to not be tempted by it. Now I want to uh, finish up here with a quick application, and that is to be reconciled to God. We need to be reconciled to God. Okay, well, what does this mean? Uh, let me read the last few verses here in this chapter uh, 5 of Second Corinthians, and we'll see what Paul's getting at. Starting, starting with verse 18. All of this, meaning that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, and the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he being Jesus, uh, for, for our sake, 
he, being God actually, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This concept, this idea, this reconciliation is, is the establishment or the restoration of loving fellowship after, after estrangement. All who have rested in Christ alone for salvation enjoy this reconciliation with the Lord that cannot be lost. And so what we need to do is recognize that as, because we are a new creation, and even if we are, there is some sin in our life, we can turn back to God because he has reconciled us to himself through his death on the cross. We have the ability to go back to him. Our identity also as a new creation in Christ is not intended to make us think that we are better off than others or that we are better than other people. Remember, uh, we didn't do anything to accomplish this regeneration, this new birth. We didn't do anything. Um, It was completely a work of the Holy Spirit. We can take no credit. Rather than make us think that we are better than others or even protected in a sense, um, the fact that we are a new creation should actually give us a heart for others. It should give us a love for others, especially the deceived and the lost. It's interesting and noteworthy that in the same breath that Paul describes this, how we are a new creation, um, and that how, how God was reconciling the world to himself, Paul says that we are ambassadors for Christ. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. He makes us a new creation so that the world can see him through us. Did you think about that? He makes us a new creation so that the world can see him through us. The challenge for us is to be holy. 1 Peter chapter 1. Be holy. Now we can do that because we have been made a new creation. If we weren't a new creation, we couldn't be holy. It would be impossible. But because we are a new creation, we can be holy. And then Paul challenges us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, to strive for godliness, to strive for righteousness. Um, Because we are a new creation, we have been changed. We have the ability to strive to understand who he is more, to strive for godliness and for righteousness. It's not just because we've been made a new creation, it's not the end. It's just the beginning (laughs) of our life with him. If, you're here to, if, we're, if we're here today and we're recognizing that we are a, a new creation, I think it's important for us to understand that, we, that, this, that any idea of pride or this, this uh, idea that, that we have deserved something or that we have accomplished something, it needs to go away with this, with this, I, this truth that we are a new creation. It, it, it causes pride to die and brings in humility. We have, like I said earlier, we have no part in this becoming a new creation. It's all God. And that helps us to serve and to love others and to be focused on their lives, knowing that what there is an eternity. It's whether you have eternity with God in heaven or eternity without him. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you aren't following him or, or, or you believe in him, I want to encourage you that there's a reason why you're here. There's a reason why you're listening online. God is already doing a work. 
He's working. And there's a reason why you're here. I want to end with this verse, this last verse again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul teaches us that for our sake, he made him, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of what Jesus did, that sin that we commit, the disobedience to God that we commit, because of what Jesus did, it has been washed away. And if you have faith in him, you have been made a new creation. Jesus had perfect communion with God, had had perfect communion with God for all eternity. He is God, right? But here we believe in the Trinity that God is one God, but he, rep- he manifests himself in three distinct persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And those distinct persons in God had perfect communion. But yet he created the world, created us, chose to create us. He didn't need us. He already had what he needed with himself. But he chose to create us. And we sinned. We rejected him, denied him. And instead of destroying us, he came to us. Jesus, a man with flesh and blood, he came to us to teach us, to show us who he is, not only that, he came to bear the wrath that we deserved, to suffer the shame that we deserved. On the cross, he died. Paul says that the sin, he knew no sin. He, didn't, he, he couldn't have sinned. He didn't sin. And yet it was placed on him. All of our sins were placed on him. He had never felt sin. And yet it was placed on him. And when that happened, God the Father had to look away from his own son. And he died. Now the awesome part is, is that after he died, he was buried. And there was a resurrection. Jesus came back to life. And he's living today. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And he's living today. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That is the message. And all we have to do, Paul teaches that all we have to do is come to believe that. To believe that Jesus is God, that he died, was buried, and resurrected for us, for our sake, so we could have eternal life with him. So that we can be a new creation with him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your Word today, I, I'm just so amazed that you, you would, uh, yes, you created us, but you would reveal yourself to us through your word, um, that you would show us who you are, that you would take the time to use language um, to, ex- to explain to us who you are in a way that we would understand, the way that we can understand. I just thank you so much for that. Most importantly, Lord, I just thank you for your son, Jesus, who you sent to us. You didn't have to do that. You could have destroyed us and started all over and done it all over again, but no, you loved us so much that you came to us to show us who you are in a way that we would understand. You walked with us, and you talked with us, and you you gave us your word, and I just thank you so much for that. I thank you for this truth that if we're in Christ, we're a new creation, that you have changed our heart to the point where we can understand 
more of who you are and grow closer to you in righteousness and be able to defeat and beat sin. I just thank you for that truth. Father, I pray that you would encourage us this week as we, just stu- as we key in on these, uh, this truth of who we are and our identity in Christ, that we would recognize this truth and live it and help it to humble us to love others and help others to come to know you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all you do. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.